Hello and welcome to the next edition of the Enterprise Doctor Business Show. My name is Mark Harris. I run Enterprise Doctor and I do advice and support for small businesses. And my guest on the show today is Pete Schombeck of Production Consulting, who is also a business advisor. So we're going to have lots of things to talk about. Pete, how are you, sir? I'm very good, thanks, Mark. How are you doing? Good. Yeah, not so bad, not so bad. You're a business advisor. That's where you are now. But I know you've had what some people, including me, would consider something of an illustrious career with some <laughs> well-known names scattered through it. So sort of to put your, your business advising into context, can you tell us a little bit about who you work for, what kinds of things you've done, and how that's led you to, to where you are today? Sure. Well, um, first of all, I start with a strong family heritage in uh, the clothing industry. My great-great-grandfather, Johannes, came to the UK from Germany as Prince Albert's tailor. Um, wow. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, quite an impressive one, which is where the German name comes from. And ironically, he used to go for fittings at Windsor Castle with Queen Victoria and Prince Albert. And I live in Maidenhead, just down the road from really? there. Really? Wow. So well, I can, I, I can tell you that my late great auntie Mari was dressing gown maker for the queen and used to go to Buckingham Palace to do fittings. Wow. So, yabu to you, sir. Ooh. So, that's something else we've we'll got. I'll see you and raise you one. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's going back four yeah. generations. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, but it's, it's something that's always been in the family up until now, until I was the last one, if you like, to leave. Because I worked as a buyer, designer, wholesale import and exporter for a company that was then called Campari International. Nothing okay. to do with the drink, but they made, some people may remember brands like Campri, which was a, a pseudo ski wear name. Um, and we used to make ski wear for the likes of CNAs, etc. Okay. So I, I trained there. I was, that was actually the, the longest job I had. I was there for almost 10 years. Wow. And then when I left, I started working in the bigger, more corporate world, um, working for people like the Pentland Group for the LS brand, from where I was headhunted by Levi Strauss to work for okay. a brand called Dockers uh, initially. Okay. Um, um, what, how much, where, where was Dockers? Dockers now, everybody know. Where was Dockers when you joined it? Was it? A big brand. Well, it was, was in, a, it? in a bit of a lull, actually, because what had happened, the initial, in the 80s, 90s, Dockers had been the archetypal brand um, of chinos. Um, and in the US, they used to say that every guy in the US owned a pair of Dockers chinos. Wow. Um, That's a There had been a lull in Europe um, where they had a very large Dockers organization based in Amsterdam. Um, which they then were umming and ahhing about selling the brand. And the powers that be decided that they weren't going to sell it, but they were going to downscale it. And as a result, they moved the Dockers brand to Levi's headquarters in Brussels, which is when I got a call to see if I'd be interested in joining that brand to reposition or rebuild it in Europe. Okay. So I came That's, in. That, that must be quite a nice phone call to get. It was a very nice phone call. Actually, when I first got it, I was quite... When it said it was Levi Strauss, I was thinking, great, I'm getting into denim. That was my initial idea. Yeah. Um, but then as the, the headhunter came 
you know, gave me more and more information. It became apparent what it was. But in a way, it was even more of a challenge because it was launching Dockers as a proper lifestyle brand in Europe. And one of the, or some of the ideas that we brought in then and things that I brought in was a head-to-toe approach to clothing. So not just chinos, Dockers shirts, Dockers jumpers, Dockers jackets, etc. Okay. So it was a rebuild of the brand. So yeah. the, the leadership team then, which I was part of, it, we were charged with bringing that brand back to life, which we managed to do. From Dockers? From Dockers, I then came back from Belgium and I popped around doing a little bit of consultancy work. I then was approached uh, by Barber, um, Jay Barber and Sons, to go and work for them up in South Shields, which I did, flew up every Monday, came back every Friday, um, and helped them put together uh, a proper merchandising function, which is something I did at Levi's, where I was merchandising and design director. Okay. I actually put in a proper structure to their business in terms of how to put a range together. And really, uh, the most ironic thing was the fact that they had an amazing archive of product going back to the early 1900s. Wow. And I said, why don't we open the door up on the archive and start reproducing it? Okay. Eventually, they, they grasped the value of that. Yeah, um, you, you don't do retro, you actually reproduce what was produced yeah. before. Yeah, and it comes okay. from the big okay. denim brands. That's exactly what they do. They yeah. just reproduce worn-out pairs of Levi's. <laughs> Fabulous. Fabulous. Um, so that was an education. And from there, I then moved out sometime later, and I'm losing track of time now, but out to Amsterdam. So I went out to there to work for Tommy Hilfiger, a senior um, director of menswear merchandising in Europe. Okay. So that was another great brand to work for, but it was quite a short-term thing. I was only there less than a year, actually. Okay, okay. Um, but quite a hunky job for a hunky brand. Yeah, yeah. Oh, they were all, they were all fant- fantastic positions, and I worked with some amazing people along the way. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And got to see other parts of the world and live in them and learn more from travelling all around the world, as I've done quite a lot, particularly yeah. in the early part of my career learn about cultures, learn about people, learn about business. And I guess all of that, if you add it together, leads you to the point where you are now, which is running your own business, doing it, yeah. doing what you want to do and doing it your way. Absolutely. Well, the one, the one I missed out was after my first job, which I always tend to do, which is very relevant to the conversation we're having now, is that I started my own retail business um, in London with a very good friend of mine. Okay. Um, and that was based in Clapham, in the old town in Clapham, where we had our own store. And we started working with the big brands of the moment, including brands like Paul Smith, who was a, a very helpful introduction to us because we actually met the man himself. Wow. And, uh, he lent us his art for our shop when we opened. And I still right. think he remains one of my biggest inspirations in terms of how good people can actually be in the clothing industry because there's some bad stuff out there as well but Paul Smith is a true sir yeah yeah lovely lovely so when did you start up so did the the name just to clarify is Sean Beck S-C-H-O-N Beck yeah and the company name is production consulting but you spell Sean not like you spell the word production production consulting S-C-H-O-N which I think just gives a little insight into your you're leaning towards marketing. I like that. 
So when when did that start? Was it something you started with trepidation or were you did you know then that it was going to be a winner? The name actually uh, my father I gave it to my father when he wanted to become a consultant in Germany and he started doing some consultancy work for people and creating product for them and he said I don't know what to call it and I said well what about product Schoen because our German name the correct pronunciation is Schoenbeck but in English, obviously, people don't recognize the two dots over the O. Um, so it was product Schoen. Um, and the, the idea being beautiful product in German and production as in making stuff. Um, so it was a double, double hitter. Lovely. And product Schoen, when I brought it back to life, I started it probably about two and a half, three years ago. But I was working as a business advisor in London for a social enterprise. Mm-hmm. So what I did, I started it up on a weekend basis where I'd give workshops at places like the British Library um, to audiences on everything to do with business planning. Because from my fashion background, and due to the fact that um, the British Library already has a fashion arm um, or a representative, I started doing uh, business planning in general, but focusing mainly on creative types. So my business advice is really geared more towards the social industries, not exclusively. I've done my coffee shops, I've done my restaurants, I've done my furniture makers, etc. Mm-hmm. But I really focus on creative minds because they often need the support more than uh, other types of industries with the financial planning side of it. Why do you think they need more support? It's, it's a strange thing and I, I can certainly understand it myself I, I i like to consider myself a creative mind but with a creative mind they don't tend to work as efficiently let's say with figures yeah because the, you know there's the old you're wired like this you're wired like that and generally creative minds are more creatively focused uh, and therefore the numbers it's almost never never the twain shall meet but uh, the numbers are not, it's almost like you have to tell someone and impart upon them the importance of knowing the numbers. We see Dragon's Den and all that sort of stuff, and you need yeah. to know the numbers. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, as, as I know, the fundamentals of knowing the numbers are the difference between your business getting off the ground, and I'm not saying being successful necessarily, but actually making it through the first year, certainly. Yes. You need to have a strong basis. Yes. Yes. So um, that's where that sort of kicks in. So I can add that because, and not because I, I was a financial genius, just because along my journey, I had to learn the numbers, particularly yeah. in senior positions where you're accountable to boards, etc. Yeah. You had to know the numbers and say them, you know, come up with them with, with confidence. Um, so I can pass that on to people and impart that to them in a way that they can understand and take them through you know, slowly because the other thing you have to appreciate, which I'm very philosophical about, is you only know what you know and there's nothing wrong with not knowing something because you've never necessarily come across it in your own life. Yes, and, and you can only be good at a certain number of things. I've got a Absolutely. whole list of things that I'm not good at and yeah. my lovely wife was nice enough to add some things on the bottom of that list, but I'm going <laughs> to go there right now. So when, when you're talking to creative types, particularly now, now for the benefit of the listener is the uh, 11th of May that we're recording this. 
When you're talking to them now, we had the Prime Minister last night talking about us taking the first tiptoe steps out of lockdown. Mm-hmm. Is there any commonality to the kinds of questions that businesses are asking you now? And I'm not talking about the, the nuts and bolts about how do, I, how do I get the money to furlough my staff, the nuts and bolts of how do I survive <laughs> and, yeah. and how do I keep selling? Is there a theme to, to the kinds of questions that are being asked? Absolutely. I mean, the main things that come up outside of building a business plan per se is things like marketing the business. You know, how do I get people to come and buy from me um, or take up my service um, proposition um, and putting some structure to it? Because it does add, it may sound obvious, but people think that I'm just going to start my own business because I'm good at it. Yeah. Well, okay, maybe a hobby, may have been a past career, but in terms of putting a structure to it and understanding all the component parts marketing, market research in particular, are usually the ones that they don't know much about. Yeah. So you might be someone who's a great seamstress or you may be someone who's a fantastic furniture maker. Yeah, you're good at that, yeah. but how do you start shouting about it? How do you use Facebook? How do you use LinkedIn? Yeah. How do you put pictures out of your work on Pinterest and that type of thing? Yeah. One of my favorite questions to ask people at the beginning of a relationship with them is who is the salesperson within your business and when they just laugh at that question yeah i i know they've got issues because yeah you you may be a furniture maker a seamstress a a whatever you are so who's the salesperson because you can you can make as much furniture as you like and you can sew as many seams as you like but if nobody's selling it then there's not going to be any food on the table and whether you want to be or not you know, Very you, you, P, are a great salesman for your business. I try hard to sell my business. It's not yeah. what we're not aiming to be a salesman for a living. We're aiming to deliver the thing that we're selling. Absolutely. But in order to do that, we have to be salespeople. Yep. Yep. And you have to have, there's, there's another aspect to that. It's having empathy with your end consumer yep. or your customer. Yeah. Always differentiate between customer and consumer, saying that a customer is, more B2B and a consumer is more B2C. Some people mention market research as something that is important and God it is because you need to have that empathy with your own consumer. Uh, You need to help them understand that you know what you're talking about. So you have to walk in their shoes. You have to understand what problem you are solving for them, either with the product you're going to sell them or the service you're going to sell them. What is it that you're going to, do and if you can make them understand that you know what you're talking about which is imperative then you can start building a relationship with them to help them correct what weaknesses they may have okay as a as a generality market research costs money as a generality marketing costs money Mm. and people debate how much you should spend on marketing in its broadest terms and it's often expressed as a percentage of turnover mm-hmm. you should spend 10 percent of your turnover five percent 20 percent whatever the number is to which you subscribe yeah. when your turnover as it is for a number of businesses right now when your turnover is nothing doesn't matter if it's five ten or twenty percent of nothing it's nothing Absolutely. so <laughs> should should businesses where if they're 
a retail outlet, their turnover has gone to nothing, whatever they're doing, if their turnover has gone to nothing. I do agree with the argument that they should still be marketing because this too will pass is one of my favorite expressions. And and you need to be in people's faces now so that they remember you when, when they start buying again. But how much do you spend and how much can you do for free? And is doing stuff for free worth it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think we are in exceptional times and um, can't remember the exact expression, but these sort of times do breed innovation as well. And part of innovation is making the best of what you've got because you can always find a way. If, if you think, and God forgive me for saying this, outside the box. <laughs> yeah, um, right. Um, but if, if you start thinking in a way that's, okay, so I've got, I've built up a network in all, the, all the, the sunshine times before coronavirus hit, I did have an audience. I still have that audience. People know of me. You still need to keep active. So you can't pay for your Google ads at the moment. Okay, so you use past stuff that you've put out there or contacts you have before to keep people up to date on your social media. This is yeah. what I'm doing. Am I, am I busy? Um, well, we're always busy. With, yes. If you're selling something, you're busy. Yes. You, you never say to someone, oh, everything's dead, you know. Yeah. But yeah. You, you are always busy. If you're, if you're putting out social media stuff and free social media I'm talking about, so I'm not yeah. talking about digital marketing as such where you're paying for it, but if you're showing people that you're interested, you're putting out posts about what's going on, topical things that are happening that you've read, giving these days in the social word or the social media sense of the word, don't, you don't give to receive, but certainly people appreciate it when you do give information even because yes. it makes their world a better place. And that in itself is marketing. Yep. It's not necessarily you have to pay for it. When I started, when I had my retail business, then if you wanted PR, you pay for PR. Mm-hmm. If you wanted to have a website or put a website up and you needed someone to build it, you had to pay thousands to get a website built. You don't have yes. to do that these days. Yeah, yeah. You know? yeah. And social media is the epitome of that. You, people, if we look at influencers online, what do they know about the web 10 years ago? And now they're earning money just from putting stuff out there because they like this color lipstick or that bit of jewelry. You know, or even if they pretend that they like that colour lipstick yeah. or that bit of yeah, 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 yeah. 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 So I, I guess it comes back to that innovation aspect of where we're at. It does breed innovation when you're up against it. I know, I know God forbid, I, I feel so sorry for those people who are up against it at the moment because yeah. we all are bobbing and weaving. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's, you know, think what you can do. If you also mentioned... Um, market research and the cost of market research yeah as a partner at the british library um and you and i have discussed this before yeah anyone when the library opens up again can go to the british library's business and ip center and get a reader's pass at the library to enter that area where you can obtain up-to-date market research information from all the big names like mintel like Euromonitor. On industry by industry reports, you can't print off the whole thing, obviously, because that usually costs anything from a thousand to ten thousand. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah. But you can indeed tap into the information that's most relevant to what you want to do, and that's what market research is all about. So I used to spend thousands on reports when I was in the corporate world, 
Yeah. If I'd known about the British Library, I would have just <laughs> tickets know, to come across. <laughs> you said um, you said when they reopen, none of that's available through them online. You have to actually go there. It's one of those curious things at the moment, and I don't know if the library, because I have been asked that during my workshops. As yet, I have, as a partner, I have not been made aware of that. I think there's obviously copyright and IP worries about sharing that information online. Yes. Um, because it is a UK-based and government-subsidised library. Yeah. So I think there is a, a little, well, from the likes of Mintel, I wouldn't want our information being openly available online no. when it's a, a main revenue stream for your business. They sponsor yeah. the library and they're a fantastic sponsor of the library. Okay. So um, I think there are, it's not as simple as just put it online. So we're just going to have to wait for it to open, but I would, I, I've been there, done that. I would recommend yeah. it as, as a real, am I going to say top tip? I suppose I am as a real top yeah. tip. Uh, yeah. Go to the British Library, ask at reception for some help with that. They'll talk you yeah. through it. They'll help you work out what it is you actually want to know and, and how to find it out. And yeah. I think that that's a really good way to, to perhaps end today's conversation. Oh. You, sir, are a very interesting man, done some interesting <laughs> stuff. And I'm oh, really, really pleased. Thank you. I'm really pleased that, that we've had the conversation. I hope that our listeners, I, I believe that our listeners will also have enjoyed it and will have gleaned some tidbits of information that uh, will hopefully be of value to them in business. I know you sent me some words about your business and more importantly, some links to your website and places like that. If listeners look at the podcast notes on their device, they will see those links. If it's a a mobile phone or similar, which is where most people listen to this podcast, then they'll just be able to click on those links and go straight to that destination to find out more about you and potentially, if they wish to, to get in touch with you and chat about your workshops, chat about the British Library, chat about marketing, chat about fashion. Absolutely. I know, I know for sure. You, you do like to chat, so that's okay. And yeah. I like to chat too. And my contact yeah. details are also in the podcast. So I am Mark Harris of Enterprise Doctor Advice and Support for Businesses, and I've been talking today with Pete Schoenbeck of Production Consulting, who also does advice for businesses. And it's been really nice talking to somebody who's very much of a like mind. But for now, we're going to call it a day. I hope that listeners will come back and listen to me another day. And at the time of recording this, there's about a dozen other episodes online. So if you want to go back and listen to some of the earlier ones, feel free to do that. But for now, I will bid you good day until the next time. <laughs>